0: Romans uh, continually beats this drum of, uh, like, we're depraved, like we're broken, we're sinful and in need of a Savior, just over and over and over. And that theme will continue all the way through Romans. You'll, You'll hear that. But you'll hear the solution or the wrestle with the tension of being easily tempted and sinful and and this week is similar to the talk we gave last week of just the power and necessity of the gospel in our lives. This week, though, will be like on steroids. So, for those of you who aren't familiar or follow athletes, like steroids mean it's going to be bigger or stronger, more bold, I guess you would say. In fact, this week would be what I love. Somebody referred to Open Life one time as being Sunday School on Steroids. That is today's talk. This today is Sunday School on Steroids because we're going to really look at some of the, the background and meaning behind some of the things being taught uh, that will bring to, to light what is in uh, the text of Romans 4. So our big idea today is f- by faith our debt is covered. So by faith, our debt is covered. This is a little high, so I'm just going to lower it and try not to break my iPad at the same time I'm doing it. Ah, that's better. Um, The series, big idea if you would, we're going to keep a constant theme throughout this series by faith, and it's we're saved by faith. But today specifically we're looking at by faith our debt is covered. And that term might cause some to wrestle in like a couple different ways wrestling with this concept of what? I have a I have a debt and it might just put a question mark in your mind. The first the first challenge I guess you would say is the idea of debt and the fact that you have one. Maybe you walked through the door and didn't realize that and and and, and you're just going I didn't know I had a debt that had to be paid. What is this debt you speak of, you know? And and it's the debt of our sins. And if you read the text of the, the, the Bible from the beginning, Genesis, sin entered humanity. And we instantly had this debt that, that w- the only way for that debt to be covered was through death. Crazy enough. And here is this, this debt, this pain that only, as we're going to read, faith in Jesus can allow us to be forgiven of, can cover that debt if you would. Jesus has paid our debt once and for all by going to the cross, by taking His perfect life to a cross and dying for you and me. And so it's by faith in Jesus that our debt is covered, that we can claim to be debt-free of sin by putting our faith in Him. The other potential challenge that comes to mind uh, in this area of faith covering debt is a practical understanding of it, because you just—it makes no sense ultimately that your faith could cover debt. I don't know about you, but my faith has never paid my credit card bill. Right? I mean, just think about that. You know, at the end of the month when we pay for that bill and and you knock it all the way down to zero, so that you don't pay any of the interest that they try to suck out of your life, um, faith has never got me there. You know, I don't go to, to work, and and it, or if I don't go to work, and if I don't pay my bills, they're going to call. Somebody will reach out to me in a not so friendly way, maybe, right? And uh, I look at that, and I go, what about our mortgage? What if we just stopped paying our mortgage and and at the end of the month, you know they're going to call because I don't really own my house, right? Yeah. Well, some of you do, but I don't. So it's like, I, you know, they would call and they'd say, yeah, Mr. Huff, I noticed that your payment hasn't made it in and we're calling to remind is, is everything okay? You go, well, you know, honestly, I just have faith that that's going to be uh, paid this month. In fact, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go big here. I'm just going to reach out and I'm going to claim that my whole mortgage will be paid off right now in the name of Jesus. We're good, right? How do you how many of you think that conversation is going to turn weird right about that moment? And they might not agree with me on the other side of the line. You know, I don't know what I'd do if I was in charge of making that call from whoever owns our mortgage and you know, they would just be like, "Um, sir, that's great that you have faith, but uh My screen is still showing the UO payment. (laughs) I don't know what I would do. How do you be nice then? You know, customers always write, ooh, wow, this is a rough one. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to get there. Uh, This idea of faith covering debt can be tough to understand. But it is by faith that our debt of sin is covered. And it's faith in Jesus that covers it. Before we really dive into Romans 4, we need to unpack a very academic word, doctrinal, theological, if you would. And that word's justification. Justification is important to grasp because we're going to look at when it came about through the life of Abraham here in a second. And if you went to Bible college, you would spend a lot of time on this (laughs) word, like maybe an entire uh, session, like 10 weeks, you know, you'd, a class you would spend on this word. Or, you know, I've heard many people do entire series on the word justification or sanctification. And, and it's, so the reality is I'm going to try to accomplish in 10 minutes what you might go to college to learn. So supernatural wisdom, amen, in the name of Jesus. So uh, the reality is justification is being made right with God. It's being declared righteous. Interesting. So being made right with God, being declared righteous. Justified is the root word of justification. And justified means to pronounce or be treated as righteous. When it comes to justification and salvation and being saved from our sins, once we are justified, there's nothing else needed in order to gain entrance to heaven. No debt of sin holds claim to us to prohibit our being saved. Pretty simple, right? But yet, it's so simple, it makes us, who have worked for everything in our life, go, well, there's a catch, right? Like, I've got to earn it somehow. I've always had to earn the grade. I've always had to do the extra credit. I've always had to, you know forge my way forward, work harder to make more. No, justification is simply that simple. It's, like we like to say, uncomplicated. Once we are justified, that's it. Nothing else. Now, to truly understand justification, it's by faith in Jesus alone so we can truly understand the gift of grace that God has given us in Jesus. So this is how justification works. We're all sinners without hope, broken, in need of healing, depravity, concept, that whole reality we've been discussing since we started Romans. And we're all broken in some way unique to our own desires that have enticed us, led us away, and led us into sin. But the Holy Spirit guides us and awakens us so that we can see and understand that the way out is Jesus. Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and because he lived a sinless, perfect life, he was considered by God a worthy sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, the only way you were justified from your sin was through the sacrifice of a pure animal, the sacrifice of blood. I guess you'd say. And there were lots of sacrifices, but it was called the atoning sacrifice, this atonement, the shedding of blood for sin. Jesus was without defect. He lived a sinless life, and so he was deemed an acceptable sacrifice. You or me are not an acceptable sacrifice. We're not sinless. Our sins demand a payment which Jesus was the only one that could pay. So Jesus' death on the cross. Was, here's another big word, substitutionary. Wow, I almost had to read that to say it right. Substitutionary, which means he died in our place. John 19, Jesus is on the cross and he says with his last breath, It is finished. That it is justification. It is finished. In other words, it, I have made a way. Life has been given. The perfect sacrifice, the old way of finding a a perfect pure dove or, or a spotless lamb, those are all done. Those sacrifices are no longer necessary. I'm the sacrifice. And through faith in Jesus, we're declared righteous. Now, here's the next level of justification. I mentioned it a second ago, the word. But justification is is a complete work of God and is instantaneous. There's another word that is often thrown out in the academic context of justification because it's like what happens next is sanctification. Sanctification simply is the process of working out our faith, our relationship with God. It's the process of being perfected or made holy, by God. Where justification and being right with God is instantaneous when we put our faith in Jesus, sanctification is what continues for the rest of our life. We're being set apart. We're being made or declared holy. And it's separate from justification, but it begins at that moment, if that makes any sense at all. Again, you're in class right now, and uh, and so you're learning something, hopefully. Anyway, moving on. That that's the process that we need to grab a hold of. So justification is immediate. It's it's, it's it happens immediately, and once you put your faith in Jesus, you're instantaneously justified before God. It happens through faith alone. It can't be earned. It was earned by Jesus on the cross. Now here's why it's important that we hold to this concept of justification through faith. By believing that we are justified through faith alone, it keeps us from believing a lie that we can earn rightness with God. That we could do the extra credit. That this or that or that or this will earn us the results from God we're hoping for. That's not the faith that Jesus brought to this world we cannot earn rightness with god it's been earned by jesus by believing we're justified through faith alone it keeps us from a lie so second corinthians 5:17 through 19 says it this way this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life is gone a new life has begun And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So hopefully now you understand justification. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Our works do not justify us. It's instantaneous, immediate, counted, righteous in the eyes of God. So now we can get into Romans 4, which is where we're continuing in the book. It says this in verse 1, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the Scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Once again, God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Our first thought today is you are made right with God through faith. You probably could guess the fill-ins today. Uh, We said this when we talked about justification. You're made right with God's faith in Jesus, nothing else. In Romans 4, the phrase counted as righteous shows up 10 times. Counted as righteous. This is the very concept of justification. And here, as Paul is writing about Abraham, Paul is saying that Abraham's debts to sin are no longer there because of his faith. He's credit in his account, he's justified. Abraham was the patriarch of this Jewish faith, as Paul said, which, which literally means um, he was like. He's also like the spiritual father of anybody who decides to follow Jesus. It's this concept that we'll read more about when we get later on in Romans. But Paul is sharing what Abraham had learned about being made right with God. And that it wasn't that Abraham was just a good dude and that made him right with God. Because if that were the case, he would be in heaven going, How'd you get here, bro? And we would say, well, I chose to follow Jesus. And you'd go, well, I was just good enough to make it. So, I mean, that's cool that you needed Jesus. But, like, I was the man. I obeyed God. That wasn't what allowed for him to be righteous. It was his crazy obedience, which he obeyed in some ridiculous scenarios that you can read about in the Old Testament. Taking his son and potentially, like, sacrificing him, but then God provides a way for him not to sacrifice his son. I mean, the stories are crazy. But that's not it. That's not what made him righteous. What made him righteous was a single act of faith. He could have boasted otherwise. Some of Paul's audience, when he's writing Romans, they were Jewish. So they not only knew of Abraham... Like, they got who Abraham was. They understood it to a historical, deep level, the importance of Abraham being the father of the faith. And so for them, it was incredibly power, powerful, but there were also people listening to, to Paul's teaching here, and they were getting the, they weren't getting it at that deep of a level. And they would have needed to go back and kind of check things out. And so I figure some of us need to go back and check things out too. So I'll take you to the moment. Genesis 15 verse 5 where it says, Then the Lord took Abram, this is before he named him Abraham, He took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You're like, okay, is that really a big deal? So a guy goes outside, led by God, looks up at the stars. Must have been a clear night, no clouds, right? Looks up at the stars. God says, you're going to have this many descendants. He's like, cool. Okay, here's what makes it a big deal. He's 100 years old and is yet to have a child. Okay, this is a little more impossible, right? And all of a sudden that does change the game a little. Um, he's hundred years old, and his wife is just as old. God is telling them, you're going to have many descendants, and Abraham believed God even though he had yet to have children. This faith was credited as righteousness. He was justified made right with God because he believed this word over his life. You and I are made right with God through faith in Jesus. We're justified by, by saying, okay, God, we understand your plan is Jesus, and we're going to put our faith in Jesus. That's it. We have a debt that needs to be paid because of our choices, made by giving in to our own desires, and Jesus covers that debt. That's how we're made right with God. Abraham was made right, by believing God's Word. Now get this, Romans 4, 4 through 5 says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous. Next time will when I'm reading a scripture, I'll try not to let my iPad shut off. That'd be my worst nightmare if it crashed while I was preaching, but it didn't. It, Just closed for some reason. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'll start back in verse 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgave sinners. Thought 2, you cannot earn your salvation. Paul gives us his first of two analogies here in verses 4 and 5. And it involves wages being paid. Pretty simple concept, right? Have you ever noticed that you're not thankful for a paycheck? I mean, you are in the realm that it allows you to pay your bills, but it's not like when payday hits and the auto deposit goes into your bank, you call your boss and go, Hey, yeah, um, just wanted to say thanks again. Well, well, for what? Payday. Thank you. I mean, I just honestly... Thank you. Your boss would be going, Does he want to raise? Like, what was that? You know, it would just be different. And some of you, unless maybe payment's optional for you because you're in some sort of weird business, but I'm just, I don't know. I, I look at that and I go, Payday is usually we get a paycheck, we pay our bills with it. It's kind of what we understand. We don't have this, oh my goodness, I got paid, you know. If you're in that job, you're probably looking for another job. So wages, we understand this concept of you expect to get paid if you work. That's just, now it's a whole different concept if you expect to get paid equally and you find out somebody else is getting paid a lot more. There was one moment in my life where I realized I was 4%. It's a funny story I'm not going to share all of it, but basically a bunch of people got bonuses, and it was accidentally released to everybody how much everybody got in an email, and it was painful to look and realize, wow, there's not many of us on staff. Some got a very large portion. I got 4%. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, it was like that moment on Survivor, if you still watch that show, where you realize you're not in the alliance, and you're going, "This is going to be painful soon." You know, so it's that one of those moments, and you just go, "Ah, oh, but if you work, if you put in the same time, if you do the work, you should be compensated." And that's how a job works. I do the work, therefore I get paid. Well, we're justified. By faith, not by what we do. So, we're not made right with God by what we do. We're not counted righteous by what we do. We cannot earn our salvation. We're not counted as righteous because of our works, but because of our faith in Jesus who forgives sin. And so that's why Paul begins to have to spell this out in multiple ways for us to catch. You can't earn this. And it feels like repetition. I know, Thad, you've said this. It's by faith alone. But you see, you've got to really get through what you're used to to comprehend it. It continues in verse 6. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Another analogy that Paul's readers would clearly understand, King David, the man after God's own heart is what David was known for. But let me give you a little, just a snippet if you're unfamiliar with David who wrote the Psalms. And it's talked about in a ton of the Old Testament. He, this man after God's own heart, let me give you a little little bit of a highlight of how his story begins and plays out. He was the youngest of his family of boys. Brutal position to be in, right? Uh, And when the prophet Samuel had a word from God that he was to go and anoint someone from the family of Jesse, David's dad, that they would become the future king, Jesse didn't even invite David to the event, but all of his brothers went. Like, that was David. Hey, the, king, the prophet's coming to anoint somebody as king. Uh, yeah, David, you're not needed for sure, but all the rest of you come on in because they're bigger, stronger, more handsome. But then there's David. You go watch the flocks, Right? Crazy painful to realize you're that guy. Um, David, all he did, all we know about him, is that he, he like protected the herds of sheep. He played a harp and sang. So no, in our family, we're right now, currently in this season, are into America's Got Talent. I don't know if anybody else watches that. Um, Some crazy people on there. But it's one thing the the judges always ask, is they're like, well, is this, you know, they're in this auditorium full of people screaming either for them to be buzzed and eliminated or to go on in, in this competition. And so they'll ask, well, what's the largest crowd You've performed for, and people will often say, well, my mom in the living room, or, you know, I've done some, some concerts, but this is definitely the largest. And David would say, well, let's see, how many sheep do we have? So carry over the, a uh, hundred sheep or so really enjoy my harp playing and singing. Like, that's all he's got going if he shows up for America's Got Talent. But he wouldn't be allowed to show up for America's Got Talent because he would be protecting the herds or running errands. That's David, in fact, a long story short, he is anointed as the king when Samuel is there. Samuel was like, uh, yeah, these sons are not the ones I I think I'm right. I'm think I'm at the right house. Do you have another son?" And he's like, "Well, there's David, you know, and David comes in, he anoints David as king. Everybody's mad and confused and wondering, and he's this teenager, and the next thing we see is he's he's uh, Running food to his brothers that are in battle, he wasn't even allowed to go to the battle, even though he's anointed king. Crazy, and he sees this monsterly large dude Goliath, which to this day we refer to man as, as really Goliath. You know, well, David and Goliath story is well known, even though it's in scripture. And, uh, and so is this, he sees Goliath mocking God and the troops of the Lord, and he's like, "Why are you allowing this to happen? Who's gonna go fight this guy?" And they're like nobody. You couldn't Look at him. And David's like, then I will. He runs out with some rocks and a slingshot, kills the dude, cuts off his head, and that's kind of how David worked, right? He was just aggressive, and so he writes the Psalms, and he's just in love with God. But this is where I love the Bible, because the Bible doesn't just show us the good in someone's life. The Bible shows us all of their life, and David messes up, and he messes up pretty big. He decides not to go to war, which he should have been in battle, but he decided not to go to battle and stay home. All the men are on the battlefield, and, and he goes outside the time of day when ladies are showering, and he sees a lady taking a bath from up above, and, and, and he lets his evil desires take control, and he sleeps with her and gets her pregnant and tries to cover it tries to invite the husband from the battlefield home, but that husband's a righteous man and says, no, I'm staying on the battlefield until we win the the battle. And so then he, you know, because he was going to try to get him to sleep with his wife, so then they could say he got her pregnant, but then they couldn't, and so he had to then have the husband killed. Yeah, that's the man after God's own heart, right, (laughs) that we refer to in Scripture. And what he's talking about here, like, he fell and he fell hard. Like, this is sin. This is deep. And it's in these moments that he writes out the passage that Paul quoted in Romans. Paul quotes just a couple of the verses, but I want to read the whole Psalm 32. I don't think it's on the slides, Corey. You might want to just jot the reference in the side there. It's on the digital handout if you have it, but not the physical one. But it says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time. That they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you, watch over you. Do not be like a, a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord. Be glad, you who obey him. Shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. Both Abraham and David were justified through faith. And David penned the emotion he experienced in the moment. He confessed his sins and put his faith in God, even though he sinned and sinned bad. We can't work our way out of sin. We can't hide it from God. We can't earn our way back into right relationship with him. Both Abraham and David were good guys for the most part. They made their mistakes. They chose some, some wrong moments, but they were justified. And maybe you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're going, but my life, Thad. Yeah, justification by faith in Jesus with what I've done? Could he really make me right in an instant? The answer today is, yeah, 100%. 100%. But I've never had faith in God and nobody before me and my family has had faith in God and it would be a first. I would be a first. It would be different. It would be uncomfortable. Uh, Could I I really be justified today, be made right in the presence of, of God through faith, just by having faith in Jesus? I think we read that clearly today. The answer is yes. The simple truth is you can be completely free You can go from the weight and the concern and the guilt eating you up, as David wrote, to instantaneous. Whew. Like the image. Just ah, finally. Our action point today is stop trying to earn. And honestly, only you can fill in that blank. Stop trying to earn. What is it? What are you trying to earn that you just need to stop trying and choose faith? You're thinking I'm not good enough. I don't say enough good things. I don't do enough good things. But if I do, I'll be saved. No, no, no. It's not going to save you. Your deeds cannot save you. Maybe you're trying to earn love. Earn forgiveness. Earn grace. Earn acceptance. It won't work. It's not worth the effort any longer. Maybe you're trying to earn your healing. Or healing for somebody you love. We prayed for Jaden earlier. He called me yesterday because what they thought was two to six months with his mom, they said it may just be a day or three to seven days. And the night previous, on Friday night, they thought they lost her. And so he needed to rush down there. And obviously, I was like, oh, well, I'll preach for you. No worries. And uh, so I spent about an hour on the phone with his dad last night. And it's interesting to have that conversation with somebody staring death in the eyes. And to hear his assurance of his faith was powerful. He's like, That I know that it doesn't that i don't have to travel across the country to this church with a healing anointing and have them lay their hands on pam and then she'll be well god could heal them from right where i'm at i don't need to go to this prayer room at this specific time to receive the healing god can heal right now if he chooses to heal and yes maybe he's going to choose to heal by bringing pam home to heaven that season in somebody's life is tough and without faith in Jesus, way tougher. You know what? It was awesome to hear because I was just going, yeah, I can't earn it. Didn't have to have that conversation with Jaden's dad at all. He grasped that. It's like, I, all I can do is release Pam into God's hands and he'll do what he will do. we're made right with God through faith. We can't earn a thing in His sight. We can work out our salvation, but we can't earn it. And so I want to pray over you today. And our response time today is going to be receiving communion together. And, and maybe you want prayer personally. Maybe today you just man, I'd, be something for you and maybe you were brought up in a way you grasp the confess your sins to one another and then you'll be healed i mean maybe maybe today you want that personal prayer moment uh you can absolutely do that we'll have somebody to pray for you after the service after ed dismisses us in a second but right now we're going to pause And as the worship team sings, we're going to receive communion. And this is what communion is. Let me explain this clearly, because it's celebrating that moment that paved the way for us to put our faith in Jesus. Yeah, we need to choose faith in Jesus today, if you've yet to do so. But what we're doing by taking a piece of bread, dipping it in grape juice, and eating that, is we're remembering Jesus' perfect body sacrificed on the cross— The bread represents his body. And we're remembering the blood he shed for us on the cross. And this does not save you. You can't receive communion today and hope you get saved. Why? I think we said it a few times today because faith in Jesus alone saves you. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. I want to pray for you today before we receive communion. God, I thank you for those who are able to make it today. And I know that God, your word says, we need to put our faith in you. You sent Jesus to live a perfect life and make his way to a cross to be the atoning sacrifice so that we could be made righteous in your sight by putting faith in him. justified. And I pray that God today, if there is anyone here that has made their way and thought they they had to earn their way to rightness with you, or God, if they ever wanted a relationship with you, they had to perform well in life, that God, that would fall to the wayside today and that they would stop trying to earn it because it's in faith in Jesus alone that we are saved and made right and can enter the kingdom of heaven. And if anyone here is yet to receive you, I pray that they would simply do it now by praying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I choose to put my faith in you. I want to be made right with you as we've spoken of today and learn what it is and work out my faith and learn what it is to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. God, as we take this emblem of the bread, remembering the body, your body sacrifice on the cross. And as we dip it in this grape juice to remember your blood sacrifice for us, may we be filled with awe and wonder as the psalmist was because of the freedom we have by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.